speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, amen, amen. It's good to see Brother Norbert and his wife Elizabeth back with us this morning. And uh, did you, have you got your Bible with you, brother? All right. <clears throat> Eric, I asked Eric and Elizabeth Hupp, uh, I figured, you know, since they did all their work down there in Mexico for so long, I said, oh, they'd have a resource to get this uh, bilingual Bible for Brother Norbert. And they did, and I tried to buy it from them, and they wouldn't let me. They said, no, no, brother, it's our gift, so... Uh, praise the Lord. I'm just glad he, now he can follow along with us and uh, Elizabeth also uh, as we study together. Praise the Lord. We're in Jonah. We're going to be in chapter 2. So open your Bibles there. Jonah's story is a simple story. <clears throat> it's a, he's a child of God. He runs from God. God pursues him uh, through the wings and on the wings of a storm. The storm forced Jonah to reconsider the path that he had chosen. Uh, it's a short book, but it records difficult days. He reflects, that is, Jonah reflects back on the events, and he confesses that he felt abandoned by God. He says, I have been banished from your sight. Any of you ever felt God not with you? Can you, can you raise your hand? Well, I have. I've prayed... And I felt that prayer was going nowhere. Any of you been at that point? Ah, those, are, those are ugly days, aren't they? They are, they are difficult days. And Jonah was experiencing that. And we have a tendency to think that during times of crisis, God is distant. He's removed himself from any influence in our life. Sometimes we even interpret his silence as indifference. He just doesn't care anymore. But Jonah reminds us that God's presence will enable us to endure any trial that we might face. Even those that we create by our own disobedience. Leonard Sweet is a great author and I would encourage you any books you can buy that Leonard Sweet writes, they're worth purchasing. He wrote a book entitled Soul Salsa. I love the, just the title. But he tells this story of, its, of an unusual tribal custom. And this story helps us see a picture of how God loves us and how God is in our life. And in this unusual tribal custom, one tribe of Native Americans would send their, tra their training young braves, they would send them on a night out on their 13th birthday for that boy, they would send them out, place them in a dense forest to spend the night alone. Until then, this boy had never been away from the security of his family and the tribe. But on this night, he was blindfolded taken miles away, and when they took the blindfold off, he's in the middle of this thick woods by himself all night long. Every time a twig snapped, Leonard Sweet writes, he probably visualized a wild animal ready to pounce. Every time an animal howled, he imagined a wolf leaping out of the darkness. Every time the wind blew, he wondered what more sinister sound it was masking. 
No doubt it was a terrifying night for many. And then Sweet goes on to say, After what seemed like an eternity, the first rays of sunlight entered the interior of the forest. Looking around, the boy saw flowers, trees, and the outline of the path that he had walked on. And then, to his utter astonishment, he beheld the figure of a man standing just a few feet away, armed with a bow and arrow. It was the boy's father. He had been there all night long. That's the God that you and I know. That's the God that loves us in the midst of our trials and our tribulations. God never forsakes His children. He says, He promises that. And He doesn't forsake us even when we disobey Him. How many of you as parents, when your children disobeyed you, just wanted to lop them off and throw them into the fire? Can I see those hands? Come on, be honest now. The thought crossed your mind, I understand. You did not literally do that. However, they were on thin ice. I got you. If you and I operated, let me see if I can hit it a different way. If you and I operated under the same law as the Jews operated on in the Old Covenant, Old Testament, grace had not been introduced through Christ yet, one of the ways that a parent could literally have their child killed by stoning was if they were disobedient. The problem with that in my own life is that I wouldn't be here standing to preach to you today. So I understand and I love this story because you see that's the kind of God that I have who loves me in spite of my disobedience much like my parents loved me even though I was disobedient. Are you with me on this? Once we become aware of our need to renew our spiritual passion and return to God, we then have to take that next step. And in Jonah's story, we learn how to respond to God's promptings so that we can return to Him. Jonah illustrates through his experience some key steps to get back to God. Now in chapter 1, verse 17, I'm going to spend most of the time in chapter 2, but in chapter 1 and verse 17, we find the first step, and that's Jonah's confinement. He got alone with God. He got alone with God. Verse 17, look at chapter 1, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Much discussion has been given and will be given about the nature of this fish. Was it a whale? Was it a large shark? Was it a lar just a large fish? And like many of the Bible facts that you and I encounter, we'll have to wait till we get to heaven to find out exactly what went on. I suspect when we get there it won't matter anymore. But it does on this side. But the type of fish is not as, most, is not as important as we focus, need to focus on the role of the fish. Some see this fish simply as God's judgment on, jo uh, on Jonah. But God used the sea as His hand of correction. The fish, on the other hand, represents much more than God's correction. You see, the fish was, first of all, in, according to verse 17, a protective shelter from the sea. 
Jonah, it says, was in the fish. And the fish represented God's provision for His protection. God intended to use Jonah. And while the three days and nights in the fish's belly were extremely difficult and painful, God had no intention of getting rid of Jonah. There are times when you and I go through things that we think it's got to be over soon. How much more do I... What, what do they tell you all the time? The Bible says you, that God won't put on you more than you can endure. And there's days you're on the edge, aren't you? I've got, I've got the edges on half of my feet are over the edge. And if I go too much farther, I'll fall in and you all all laugh at me again. Because this would be a, an accidental fall. Well, the other one was too. <laughs> but you know what? We get to the edge, don't we? And there's times when I'm not sure I'm going to make it. God, I can't take another minute. What's the, the phrase I've seen on some t-shirts? Uh, my kids, uh, I'm down to my last nerve and you're standing on it? <laughs> or something like that? Because there's times when we just, God, I, I'm not sure I can go another step. If God wanted Jonah dead, he would have left him in the sea and he would have sent a shark to eat him. God desired to break Jonah's disobedient will. And oftentimes we will go through trials and tribulations to get our attention focused back to God. Sometimes you have to be flat on your back, sick, to finally look up. Are you with me? Are you with me? He wasn't finished with Jonah yet. He was still a work in progress. I'm looking at a bunch of works in progress. You need to ask yourself, what point, at what point did the fish swallow Jonah? You ever thought about that? At what point did the fish swallow Jonah? Did, did it happen immediately? Or was, did some time pass before the fish showed up? Jonah seems to answer that question when he describes the events that happened to him. In verse 15 of chapter 1, it says the sailors threw him into the sea. And then in, in chapter 2 and verse 3, he confesses that God was behind that action. In the latter part of verse 3 in chapter 2, look, look what it says. The waves swept over him. The sea wasn't calm. So Jonah should have been able to tread water for a little while. But apparently Jonah wasn't a very good swimmer. In verse 4, he thought God had banished him. He thought he was all by himself. In verse 5 of chapter 2, the water swirls around his neck and he struggles to stay afloat. You ever been in water like that? I mean, it's just boom, boom. Cindy and I were on a honeymoon vacation to, in Mexico, Puerto Vallarta. I love to say that, Puerto Vallarta. And no one told us that it was high tide day. So I go out in the ocean. I'm 300 plus pounds. I'm standing in the ocean, the mighty ocean. And the waves start to roll in. Knocks me off my feet. I'm about waist deep. That wave hits me, knocks me over. I lose my glasses. 
I lose the key to a safe in our room around my neck. I get up, it hits me again. Cindy's on the shore watching all this. I get up a third time, it body slammed me a third time. All I see her on the, on the shore is... <laughs> and so I had no glasses for the rest of our trip. So I couldn't see anything except her. I better go on. Okay. But he's in the sea. It's swirling around him. Verse, the latter part of verse 5 and verse 6 in chapter 2 says, The water overcame him. He began to sink. In, in verses 6 and 7 in chapter 2, he was about to die. It says, He raised my life from the pit. Verse 7, just before he dies, God rescues him. And how does God rescue him? The great fish. I can't make it anymore. And the fish comes by. And the fish grabs him. God sends the fish to rescue him from dying. Even though the consequences of his disobedience caused him to be where he was, God still loved him through those. That's a hallelujah moment. I'll stop. Excellent. You're catching on now. The fish not only was a protective shelter, but secondly, it was a personal transport to the coast. In verse 17, he's, after three days and three nights in the belly's fish, you jump down to verse 10 of chapter 2, and God commanded the fish to do what? What does your Bible say? Vomit. That's a, that's a nice Hebrew word. I wonder what it means in the original text. That's, that's exactly what it means. What do you do when you vomit? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's not lunchtime. Just, just relax. It's all. You have no control. That's right. And so the fish did that. Three days and nights probably has nothing to do with the speed of the fish, but more with the time Jonah needed to empty his sinful heart. Didn't have so much to do about the speed of the fish, but about Jonah's condition within his heart. Why do you keep going through these things, and how long is that trial going on? Well, you got to start doing some self-examination. Start looking. It's easy to point the finger at other people. If trouble comes to you, you begin to look at everybody else. You know anybody like that? It's never their responsibility. It's always somebody else's fault. Well, if you'll just take a look at yourself, you're liable to find out some things that you don't want to know. And those are never pleasant experiences, are they not? When you have to look in the mirror and see the real person inside the reflection, that's, that's usually not a pleasant deal. Because you find out you're arrogant, you find out you're stuck up, you find out you're whatever. <laughs> and you have to face that. One of our college students and, and I were visiting uh, when they first got to college. And they were talking about their friends that they had from high school that were at the same college. And these were friends that, that were, were Christian friends in high school, real encouragers in high school, in, in things spiritual. And when they, got to, when they got to college, and they got away from mom and dad and the, and the influence of mom and dad, they went hog wild. Got into drinking, got into uh, sleeping around. Oh, my goodness. And, the, and, and our college uh, young person from our church 
was just so uh, hurt by all that. Freedom demands great responsibility. So when you've been given freedom in Christ, you need to be obedient to Christ. Be obedient to Christ. But it was a protective shelter. The fish was a personal transport. And then in verse 1 of chapter 2, the fish became a private sanctuary with the Lord. In that verse we say we, we read, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly or inside the fish. What is a sanctuary? Many call this room the sanctuary. I know once we remove the pews out and put chairs in, it somehow lost its sanctuariness. Because see, it's, it's, it's important that you have pews in a place to sit on, and that makes it more of a sanctuary. Because see, then you can say it like Bible words, sanctuary. It's like propitiation. Damnation. Hell, damnation. You feel like you've been to church now, see? What is sanctuary? It is the place where you encounter God. Can the sanctuary be in your car? Can the sanctuary be under those trees out there by the picnic table? Can the sanctuary be at Steve and Shelley's around the swimming pool? Oh, yeah, there we go. Yeah, I'm hearing more. Yes, yes, the hearty. Amen. At Doug and Kathy Keithley's tonight on their patio. Is that the sanctuary? Because, see, the sanctuary is not a place specifically. It's where you encounter God. Can you do that in the living room of your home? Oh, yes. The sanctuary of God today is in the heart of his children. God resides here. Are you with me? Amen. Now, I love our room. I love our sanctuary here. Because we encounter God in this room, don't we? Through the music we sing. Through the specials we hear through the challenges and testimonies we witness, through the prayers that we do. I love to encounter God here, don't you? I love to watch Russell when he's got the young people in here and he's got 50, 60 young people in here and to watch them and to listen to them come up to him. These Russian kids coming up to him and testifying to him. I remember I was standing there one night when one of them came up and talked to him and said, Russell, I was going to kill myself last week. Last week? I was going to kill myself, Russell. But tonight what God said through you, the Holy Spirit grabbed me. Woo, hallelujah. And guess where that was done? Right here. So can we encounter God? Absolutely. You young people that were at CIY in California at Biola University, did you encounter God? <laughs> How do I know that they encountered God? Because of what they said. And because of the text messages I got from Russell. He said, he, he, he texted me one night late. He said, Pastor, the Holy Spirit was here today. <laughs> and I thought, he's not there every day. <laughs> and he was so excited because the young people were being touched by the message of God. 
was a sanctuary. You see what I'm saying? The sanctuary is where you encounter God. And for Jonah, the sanctuary was the belly of a fish. Think what happened inside that fish. Jonah recognized his total, utter dependence upon God. In verse 2 of chapter 2, he says, I cried out for help. In verse 4, he felt he had been banished. In verse 7, my life was fading away. I remembered the Lord. When he exhausted all hope, he did what? Turn to God. What do you and I do? When all hope is gone, we turn to God. We run to God. We grab the cross. And when he responds to us, we release the grip. And we begin to back away again. Why? Because we know He's calling us. And we're going to go hide some more. Don't look at my sin, God. I don't want you to see my sin. Inside the fish, in verse 8, God stripped this wayward prophet of his pride and his prejudice. He removed all spiritual distractions. And in verse 9, Jonah submits to God without reservation. All! Inside the fish. God didn't get him out of the fish until he made the commitment. Are you ready? Are you with me now? You want, God, you want out of your problems? You want out of your trials? Maybe you need to recommit yourself to God. Maybe you need to get yourself checked back in to where the Lord is. Jonah got alone with God and the voice of sin and fame and others began to feign, fade away. But the voice of God became loud and clear. If you have wandered from God and sensed your need to renew your faith, then let me encourage you to get alone with God. Get alone with Him. And listen. And listen. And listen. Find a private place to meet with Him. Our prayer room here at the church is, the one, it is a great place to come. God will talk to you in that room. Most people don't go in there because they don't want to hear from him. <laughs> Jonah's confinement led to, secondly, Jonah's communion. We need to listen to God's voice. While he's offering this prayer, Jonah often quoted Psalms. He, never, he didn't necessarily acknowledge the chapter or verse, but he, he allowed the Word of God to fill his thoughts. And when you're in struggle at points and when you're in trial and tribulation, you need the Word of God. You need the Word of God. Amen. I'm so grateful Rodney has caught fire. I, I get a devotion from that guy every day. And I'll read them, I'll, I'll get through those, and I'll say, man, what is God doing in that guy's heart? But just look what he's doing. And he, he keeps sending these things. It's like rapid fire, open it up, Rodney Klein, devotion. Boom, bam, boom, boom. Man, I thought the man doesn't teach at all. He sends out devotions. God bless him. Thank you, James Public School, for letting Brother Rodney be an evangelist out there. Praise God. Seven specific references, and I put this in your outline for you. In verse 3, your, your billows, your sea swept over me, Psalm 42, 7. In verse 4, I have been banished, Psalm 31, 32. Engulf me up to my neck, in verse 5, Psalm 69, 1. My life was fading away, in verse 7, Psalm 147, 3. To your holy temple, in verse 7, Psalm 18, 6. To worthless idols, in verse 8, Psalm 31, 6. Salvation is from the Lord in verse 9. Psalm 3, 8. 
Now, obviously, you need to look at these later in your own quiet time, your personal study time. I, I know all of you go home after all my sermons and get right back into the Word of God. I know you do. I know you do. Because when I quiz you, boy, you give me those answers. Just pow, 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 rapid fire. If you need a little assistance, give me till Wednesday, because we usually have it posted on the website by then. And you can just click on it and re-listen to it. Even have the outline there for you if you want to follow along again. Just, <clears throat> just a commercial break for you. Why was the Word of God so critical to Jonah's spiritual recovery? God speaks, number one, God speaks through His Word to his heart. Reminds us of the value of hiding God's word. Psalm 119 and verse 11. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Secondly, God guides us and guides our thoughts by his thoughts. Not by my precepts, but by yours. It's not what I know, it's what God knows. Amen? So what is a word? It is a physical representation of a thought. God's Word is a physical representation of His thoughts on a level and in a language that we can understand, comprehend. Jonah's thoughts were unlike God's thoughts. The Word of God guided Jonah to understand and acknowledge God's thoughts about him. When you get down and out about God doesn't love me, God isn't hearing me, get back to His Word. Go read Psalm 139. If you can read Psalm 139 and you believe that God doesn't know you, doesn't care about you, then please call me because your salvation is in question. In Psalm 139, he says, I knew you before you were ever created. I knew you while you were in your mother's womb. You can go to the depths of hell, he says, and I'm still there. You can go to the highest peak, and I'm still there. In other words, you can't get away from him. He knows you. He's about you. He's all around you. Whether you want to acknowledge it or not, he's there. And it doesn't matter who's going to be the next president and vice president. It doesn't matter. It has nothing to do with it. But it has everything to do with your ability to get to the cross and repent of your sins. It has everything to do with that. Because ultimately, we're all going to die anyway by holocaust or whatever they'll kill the christians first but see it'll be hard for them to find the true christians because we act so much like the rest of the world and then the third thing i want you to know about god's word that makes it so powerful is that god's word has a cleansing effect on us when you look at jonah and you see his rebellious heart you see that it was softened god's word will always guide us back to the lord if we'll follow it if we'll listen to it we should look at God's Word like a man lost in the woods views a compass. Well over a hundred years ago, much of northern Michigan was entirely new country, covered with dense forests. The best woodsman was liable to lose his way unless he carried a pocket compass. A, a settler of those days tells this story. One day I had been walking in the woods, and when I, though I, I could not see the sun or sky, I knew it was setting, settling uh, darkness that night was coming on, and and started as I thought for, uh, for home, I was so certain I was heading in the right direction, I didn't even look at my compass. But when I did, I was greatly surprised to find out that I was heading, what I thought I was going east, I was in reality going west. 
And not only was I surprised when I was so sure of my own judgment and so disgusted with my compass that I raised my arm to throw it away. Because it was the compass's fault. Then he said, I paused. And he looked at his compass. And he said, you've never lied to me yet. So I think I'll trust you one more time. And he said, I followed my compass and I found my way home. The Bible was given to us to guide us. So why in heaven's name do we think we can do it on our own? You can't. You won't. Your success will not happen. Jonah's confinement led to his communion, which brought about Jonah's confession. We need to pour our hearts out to God. There's four responses I want you to see from Jonah. Chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, he said, You threw me into the depths, and I have been banished from your sight. Would you notice the word you and your? Jonah makes the connection between his disobedience and God's correction. He holds God blameless and himself guilty. If you feel God is not close to you, trust me, he hasn't moved. He hasn't moved. Secondly, verse 4 again, I turn my eyes back to you. I recognize your hand at work. Secondly, I turn my eyes back to you. Jonah says, yet I, will I look once toward your holy temple. Here is a good definition of backsliding. Taking your eyes off God. A good definition of repentance is turning your eyes to God. Because when you're in trouble, you need to go to the source. That's another hallelujah point. Well, y'all, y'all are y'all are excited today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Nah, it's too late now. <laughs> when you got to drag it out of you that much, it's just too late. Verse six is our third point. I recognize your hand at work here. I turn my eyes back to you. Thirdly, I thank you for your compassion. In verse six, he says, "But you raised my life from the pit, Lord, my God." He confessed. In case you miss it, Jonah offers his thanks in faith because where is he at this point when he's offering this thanks? Still in the belly of the fish. So he's offering thanks in faith. So when you're in the midst of your struggle and you're not sure what's going on and you you haven't felt the release from that struggle, you still need to thank God in faith that He's going to lift you from that. Amen. That's another. All right, excellent. Fourthly, in verse 9, he says, I renew my commitment to you. Look what he says. He promised, I will fulfill my vows. Made a vow to God? How's that coming? Or as Dr. Fields says, how's that working for you? (laughs) And when you promise something to God, you better follow through. If you said one time, Lord, I'm going to give my life to you if you'll help me get out of this. Da, 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 da. And guess what he did? He got you out of your da 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 da. What'd you do? Oh, well, I, you know, I, oh, oh, he understands. I'm just. Oh, oh, oh. Follow through. Follow through. Parents, is that not what you want your children to do? When your children make a promise, you want their word to be bond. 
If they tell you they're going to take out the trash at 4.31 p.m., at 4.32, they should have already done it. At 5.04, you're still getting on them about taking the trash out. It was supposed to have already been gone at 4.31. And then you sit there and you holler at them and you holler at them and you holler at them. The veins pop out on the side of your neck because these brain-dead children, they can't hear anything. What's wrong and what do they do? Invariably, every time your blood pressure is about to explode, your head is about to fall off, your left arm is numb from pain because your heart's clogging up on you as you're getting mad, what do they usually do? All you had to do was ask. You just want to keel over dead right there. True repentance requires change. A man in a certain church was known to rededicate his life on a regular basis and he always prayed the same prayer, Lord, remove the cobwebs from my life. On he upon hearing one of those prayers at a umpteenth time, his pastor pastor whispered this prayer to this man he said and Lord kill the spiders <laughs> shepherds bring their sheep back into the fold each night and he stands at the door at the gate and he counts each sheep as they come in. And as he does, he puts his hand on the head of each of those animals. And probably calls them by name. He makes a habit of touching each one of them. If he grows careless and neglectful in that habit of touching his sheep, it can be devastating for that sheep because when the shepherd calls out with danger around, the sheep won't hear his voice. So it is with us. How often do we experience the shepherd's touch? Do we do it daily? Do we know his voice? Do we recognize his voice when he's warning of impending danger? It means practicing his presence. What does it mean to practice the presence of God? It simply means every day, every day, you're going to find a way to be drawn into the presence of God every day it can be through the reading of the word highly recommended it could be through prayer highly recommended it could be through fellowship with fellow believers highly recommended it could be music I don't know what it is for you but one thing I do know 
if you'll give outside yourself to others and you help someone else, you will feel the presence of God. So I don't know where you are. I don't know if you're backslidden. I don't know if you're just on fire. I don't know where you are. I don't know if you've grown complacent. I don't know where you are. But God does. So I challenge you this morning we sing this song let God penetrate let God penetrate your heart and do something in you let's stand as we sing together Father I adore